Well, I think it would be an appalling precedent because it would damage all journalists um, because if journalists are doing their ordinary job in the ordinary way, they would all be at risk of being attacked by whatever government didn't like what they produced. Now, you asked a while ago um, what, you know, who he's offended, and I agree it's the CIA, but the real... Today's guest is Julian Burnside. This is Julian's second time on the podcast. On today's episode, we discuss the potential extradition of Julian Assange to the United States and look at many of the issues surrounding the case. If you like this conversation, don't forget to like, subscribe, and to share this video. I hope you enjoy the episode. application was an application by the United States to extradite him from Britain to the United States. He uh, succeeded in the before the district judge um, because it was held that he was at real risk of committing suicide if he was taken to America. Um, months after the district court judge made the decision, America put forward some assurances to the effect that he would not be, that he could serve, basically that he could serve the rest of his sentence if sentenced. He could serve the rest of his sentence in Australia. Um, The the Court of Appeal upheld the the United States appeal against his uh, conviction or against the order that he be discharged on the footing that the assurances meant that the risk of suicide was not as the district judge had said. The importance of the case, though, is that it's... <clears throat> um, it's really about what whistleblowers can do. Um, he, I, I think on any view of things, he is a journalist. Um, it was said in the court below that he was, um, that he had encouraged Chelsea Manning to provide um, classified material and that he then published it. He, part of the charge against him is encouraging Manning to provide material which was classified, in other words, inducing Manning to commit a criminal offence. 
And um, it was <clears throat> said in his favour that uh, that inducement was actually what every journalist, every respectable journalist does. Um, there was very, very significant evidence in the court below about the about the um, um, <clears throat> pardon me. <clears throat> There's important evidence in the court below about the fact that journalists worth their salt do induce people to break the law if need be in order to provide material. Um, that is exactly what um, what Hassan did in relation to Manning, but um, it was argued that um, in doing that, he was just doing what every journalist does. And, of course, the <clears throat> added fact in this instance is that he's an Australian citizen. What he did was allegedly done outside the United States and he's being prosecuted by the United States. Another thing, though, that I find quite confusing is regardless of whether it's the proper thing for a journalist to do in terms of um, encouraging or supposedly encouraging Chelsea Manning to uh, get the information, Chelsea Manning is now free and wouldn't the supposed crime that Chelsea Manning has committed be worse than what Assange did in encouraging uh Chelsea Manning to get the information. So I don't understand why why is Assange facing 175 years and Chelsea Manning is free when her supposed crime uh, seems far worse. I, I agree. The I think the distinction is that um, the 175 years is obtained by adding all of the maximum potential uh, sentences together of all the of all the things he's charged with and it's basically meaningless i don't think it is responsible to imagine that he would be sentenced to 175 years well, how long would he be sentenced for then and how many and how many crimes how many crimes are they leveling at him as well well there's five crimes directed at him um in my opinion, he has not committed any crimes um, and he, well, so that, so I, I think he should not receive any sentence at all. If, if he is convicted of the criminal offences which are alleged against him, I would expect that what has been done to Manning would be a good guide to sentencing. And uh, so however long Manning spent in prison may be the limit of the time that he would be sentenced to. But then I'm, I'm, I'm not a, an American lawyer. But, if, but also if the calculation, I mean, you'd assume that if they'd upheld the United States appeal, that the argument against his psychological state of mind would have got weaker. But he's had a stroke in Belmarsh Prison just in December and we also now know that the Trump administration had planned to kidnap and even assassinate Assange. So, I mean, 
surely that's you know reason enough not to extradite him if if the case you're making is that it was um, oppressive was the actual word they used to extradite him. I mean, it can't be good for your psychological state of mind to be held prisoner by people who you know were willing to break international law to murder you. So I just don't. I guess what I don't understand is what's changed in the calculation of the judges if they're saying that these assurances of Assange being treated well um, are legit because, I mean, they were going to assassinate him and wouldn't that wouldn't that change their calculation in Assange's favour rather than um, in the opposite? Well, um, I guess the, the answer to that is that um, if... The, I mean, the assurances are simply sent and um, they're sent with all sorts of formal statements that say um, we we will, you know, these are seriously given uh, assurances. So why, what basis does the court have for saying that the assurances can't be taken at face value? Well, the fact that there's nothing legally binding about the assurances isn't that suspicious in and of itself? Like, why wouldn't why wouldn't the United States make something legally binding about their assurances? Um, I think the assurances probably are legally binding, um, but their specific words their specific words are they've pledged they've pledged to treat them humanely, which sounds pretty ominous to me. Yeah, I'm just they've, looking. They've essentially said that they won't lock him up in their worst detention facility in Colorado, but so what? Like, I'm sure they have a host of other prisons just as bad that they could throw him into. Um, I think the Court of Appeal said something about the assurances. In paragraph two of the diplomatic note, um, which is the 5th of February 2021, the United States will not impose special administrative measures on Mr. Assange pre-trial or post-conviction. This undertaking is subject to the condition that the United States retains the power to impose special administrative measures, SAMs, on Mr. Assange in the event that after the entry of this assurance, he was to commit any future act that met the test for the imposition of a SAM pursuant to various provisions. Um, if Mr. Assange is convicted in the United States, he'll be eligible following conviction, sentencing, and the conclusion of any appeals to apply for a prisoner transfer to Australia to serve his US sentence. The United States undertakes that in the event of extradition and Mr. Assange being held at any time in custody, it will ensure that Mr. Assange will receive any such clinical and psychological treatment as is recommended, and it undertakes that pre-trial Assange will not be held at the United States Penitentiary um, Administrative Maximum Facility, that's the ADX in Florence, Colorado. Mm. But do you find any of that convincing? I mean, I'm a layman, so I can't really tell the difference between that and something more convincing. Well, um, 
I think I think you can take those at face value, especially given that they were given by well, they were given by the Biden government rather than the Trump government. But I think that's what worries me about this whole situation is how bipartisan it seems. I mean, Obama, Trump and Biden all kind of want to make an example of Assange and I guess that's why these, I mean, again, I'm a layman so I don't really know but the sense I get is that this is just sort of a way of, you know, wooing the UK court into letting him into the US and then once they have their hands on him, who knows what they'll do with him or is that just hyperbolic? I think that's a bit, um, I don't actually agree with that and it's not a view that I share. Um, If it was the Trump administration giving the assurances, then I would be more concerned. Um, But I think I think Biden's government can be trusted to do what they say, what they promise to do. Um, I'm just trying to <clears throat> figure out whether the whether assurances are given <clears throat> under. Uh, some international provisions, but to be candid offhand, I can't. But is, isn't the worry, though, that he's offended the kinds of institutions that sort of transcend political lines? Like he's offended the CIA more than he's offended um, the Democrats or the Republicans? Um, that is true. That is true. So wouldn't it be irrelevant then which party is in power? the assurances would be equally um, vacuous. No, the assurances are given by the government, not by the CIA. Mm, But, I mean, surely the CIA has more influence over the political institutions than any other organisation. I mean, that's, that's, to me at least, that's what seems to be going on, is that this isn't about um, how the Republicans feel about Assange or how the Democrats feel Assange. It's about the institutions that, you know, what people call the deep state, and I don't think that's conspiratorial to say. It's the intelligence agencies that Assange has embarrassed again and again. Um, he hasn't, you know, he hasn't necessarily embarrassed Trump or, um, or Biden. Um, he's embarrassed the military-industrial complex, um, the CIA. So, again, I, I kind of worry that it's not really about which party's in power the assurances that sort of seem equally, um, yeah, vacuous. But you don't agree. Um, I would hope that you're wrong. Yeah, same. <laughs> because yeah. frankly, I think there's a much deeper issue in this, and which might or might not succeed in America, and that is that what he did is what all journalists do. I mean, journalists get their information by persuading people to give them material, sometimes in circumstances where providing that material involves a criminal offence on the part of the person providing it. Why, why then 
what's the distinction between Assange and a normal journalist in their eyes and why do they particularly hate Assange? I, I don't think there is any relevant difference. And it's interesting that Daniel Ellsberg gave evidence at his trial before the district judge um, and it was Ellsberg who succeeded in an American trial in, what, the 70s? Oh, can you actually remind me who Daniel Ellsberg is? Daniel, Daniel Ellsberg disclosed the material about the um, about the Watergate papers, right? And what was and what what was he testifying in relation to? He he testified that um, he testified that what uh, Assange was doing did not involve a criminal offence on on Assange's part, and perhaps more important, um, evidence was given at the before the district judge um, concerning by, by Feldstein and Tim's who gave evidence about the, um, hang on, I'll to see if I can find it. Yeah, Professor Feldstein described how whistleblowers usually unsuccessfully try to get a response to their concerns from a government agency and then go to the media. He said that good reporters don't sit around waiting for someone to leak information. They actively solicit it. Tim's said that he didn't consider that acts which encourage or solicit a whistleblower to commit a crime to be criminal, and WikiLeaks is not unique in asking for leaked documents. He describes, as others have in the case, the relationship between the journalist and their source, in which journalists ask for information from their source, return to them uh, for more information and ask for clarification evidence or documentation to substantiate a claim, Every single reporter receives documents, whether they've asked for them or not. Some outlets invite newsworthy information, including explicitly stating, leak to us. Others have run advertisements or made requests through Twitter, encouraging whistleblowers to get in touch. Um, so. Well, so is there a chance then if Assange is extradited to the US, does would he have a strong enough case not to even be found guilty then? Uh, in my opinion, yes. Mind you, the process of getting to trial in America is horrendous. I mean, the, the, um, the judgment of the district judge after a very lengthy hearing runs to 155 pages. Um, the Court of Appeal hearing took a couple of days their judgment only runs to 30 pages. But by the time this thing is over, many, many hundreds of pages of legal learning will be written. And it may be months or possibly years before Assange knows what is going to happen to him. Because he also had a, um, he had a stroke in Belmarsh Prison. And I imagine that 
you know, it's only going to get rougher for him in the next um, months or years, especially if, as you say, this is quite drawn out. But as an indication of the stress that he's under, would that stroke go any way to strengthening his case not to be extradited? Especially if the argument being made is that it's damaging to his psychological state of mind. No, because the stroke had happened by the time the Court of Appeal heard the matter and it refused, it upheld the appeal on the basis that the assurances should have been given to the district judge and that the basis of the district judge's finding um, in effect fell over. Now, the stroke is really just more evidence of his physiological danger. Um, it may be useful evidence in a further appeal in the United Kingdom, but um, whether that's going to work is something which remains to be seen. Mm. I mean, the fact of additional appeals is part of the problem. The, the fact of additional appeals means that he is going to be at risk for a much longer time. The judge almost wants to get it over and done with then. Is that what you're saying? The judge ought to want to get it over and done with. <clears throat> We've discussed this before, but do indefinite sentences, which sort of prolonged appeals in some sense are, are they sort of seen as being more damaging to someone's psychological state of mind than actually just sort of having your sentence given to you and having a fixed date? Yes, the indefinite sentence, the <clears throat> the delay between <clears throat> pardon me, <clears throat> the yeah. delay between where he is now and where the Americans want him to be is the source of very, very great difficulty for him as it would be for anyone. I mean, Belmarsh Prison is not a good place and he's being held there pending the conclusion of the extradition application. But I'm sure he'd much rather be there than in any prison in the US. It were, it's interesting to speculate on what would happen in America if he was moved into SAMS or ADX and took proceedings based on the diplomatic note in which the assurances are given. But I guess he doesn't want to take that risk. Just how dangerous of a precedent would be set if Assange were to be extradited and found guilty in the US? Well, I think it would be an appalling precedent because it would damage all journalists um, because if journalists are doing their ordinary job in the ordinary way, they would all be at risk of being attacked by whatever government didn't like what they produced. Now, you asked a while ago um, what, you know, who he's offended, and I agree it's the CIA, but the real offence, which I think is the trigger for all of this, was the collateral murder mm -hmm. video because that showed America at its very worst and it got a huge read it got a huge number of people watching it but the irony of that is those people aren't 
standing trial he is. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the one of the other <clears throat> great ironies of all this is that <clears throat> he is being charged with um, disclosing information on WikiLeaks, which has been reproduced in lots and lots of other... Mm. In the Guardian, mm. like like the Guardian and mm. like the Rupert Murdoch papers in America. Well, then, are they going to be next if he's found guilty? I mean, would the Amer- would the American government come after the um, official news outlets that published his material? I doubt it, because they would not they would not have the argument which he does have, namely that. Um, the breach of law committed by Manning was induced by Assange. Well, you could say that the American, the US could say that those outlets um, did to Assange what they're saying Assange did to Chelsea Manning, that they encouraged him to solicit information and give them information. And I'm sure there's a paper trail somewhere that the, the US could, could find in terms of uh, the email correspondence between Assange and the news outlets. I've got a very pessimistic look on this. Julian. <laughs> yes, I, um, I I don't think that would I don't think that would work. Um, I don't I doubt very much that there is a paper trail between Assange and other organs of the press. Well, something which I personally find quite disturbing is the way some journalists and news outlets just blatantly lie about Assange. I mean, some call him a criminal. Um, some say that he, um, as we've said, um, stole rather than published the information. And I guess it's it's disturbing because it's like watching some strange form of professional suicide because, I mean, surely, surely the journalists um, who tout these lies about Assange, surely they understand that this has implications for their ability to speak freely. Um, so why why do you think why do you think they are touting these lies about Assange? Is it just because they've been bought out by uh, you know the corrupt institutions in America, like the CIA, or do they just not understand the the case? Well, um, that reaches into areas where I don't have any special knowledge. Mm. That that's really about. Um, what drives American journalists to behave the way they do, and I fr- frankly can't answer that. But what's your suspicion? My guess, mm. my guess would be that they basically either they're up the ass of the government and they reckon they can do whatever the government wants or um, they see this attack on Assange as being an attack on them. Mm. Now, I would have thought serious journalists and serious papers like The Guardian and The New York Times would see this as an attack on them. Mm. You'd think so. Yeah, you'd think so. (laughs) Now, I don't know whether any of them are supporting what the government is doing in relation to Assange. I've had this this conversation with um, friends of mine when talking about atrocities committed by the CCP or any other sort of dictatorial country and... um, someone will sort of invariably say, you know, we're no different to them, we're just as nefarious as they are, to which I always say, yes, but at least 
we're able to talk about it freely in this country, whether that be Australia or the US or the UK, and we're able to hold some semblance of accountability. But do you think that if Assange is extradited and found guilty, I mean, do you think you can really say that anymore? I mean, the gap between us and the more dictatorial countries, as far as freedom of speech goes, is closing somewhat, I think. Would you agree with that? If if he is extradited and convicted, <clears throat> then yes, I think that's a very bad day for journalism. Mm. Um, I think that would be a serious concern and it would be an extraordinarily bad day for journalism because, frankly, it means that the government can tell journalists what they can print and what they can't print. Mm. Mind you, that's not the... That's not the basis on which the decisions below turned. What do you mean? Well, in the 155 pages of uh, Judge, is it Bereista? Bereista, Vanessa Bereista. Uh, but I think it's Bereista. Oh, is that how pronounce it? Either way. Whatever. <laughs> um, I do not think that he, I don't think that her judgment goes into the freedom of speech arguments. But how can it not? That's an interesting question. <laughs> let, me see if I can, let me see if I can find it. In paragraph 122, she says, the defence submits that Mr. Assange's disclosures are protected by Article 10, that's of the European Convention on Human Rights, um, submits that it would be protected by free speech in the light of the risk of harm from non-disclosure to millions of people. It's sought to demonstrate the significance of the WikiLeaks revelations and what it has called the scale of the crimes against humanity through the oral evidence of Clive Stafford Smith, Professor Feldstein, um, Daniel Ellsberg, and others. So, in layman's terms? In England, free speech is protected. And um, I frankly do not know why the... Um, free speech argument didn't carry the day in in the court below. That's why I'm so pessimistic about this whole thing, because it seems so obvious that he's innocent. What can I say? I don't know. I, I, was really, I was really surprised that he got up on the ground on which he succeeded. Mm. What also disturbs me is how apathetic the majority of people seem to be with the Assange case. I mean, there doesn't seem to be much uproar or outrage, and I'm sure the media has a lot to answer for as far as that goes. But do you worry that freedom of speech is perhaps becoming um, an old-fashioned ideal for my generation? Um, I suspect that the issue becomes too complex in his case, and that may explain why. But I agree with you. I agree with you. The response of your generation has been one of indifference. The response of 
all generations in Australia has been one of indifference. And that's a real pity. I mean, the 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 argument for Assange was much stronger um, a few years ago than it is now. And maybe maybe it's because that's the nature of the news cycle. People get accustomed to what is being said and they move on. You know, the it, issues just shift. I mean, look, look at Scott Morrison, what he's doing. Scott Morrison, who in my view is an, an idiot <laughs> and a hypocrite and a liar, um, Scott Morrison just keeps on coming up with stuff on the footing that whatever he says will be overtaken by what happens the next day. In relation to Assange or just in general? Just in general. <laughs> and that, I mean, well, that's, the nature of, that's the nature of the news media these days. Well, why, why, has Australia, why hasn't the Australian government done more to protect Assange? I mean, other countries are offering him asylum and he's not even their citizen. Um, the United Nations has condemned it. Um, Amnesty International has called it a travesty of injustice. So, I mean, is it partly because Australia sees an alliance with America as more important than one man going down, especially especially in the context of rising tensions with the CCP? Um, I, I don't know about the broader political question, um, but Australia's attitude is bizarre. I mean, you know, Julia Gillard, when she was PM, at the time Assange went into the Ecuadorian embassy in London, she basically came out and said that he was a criminal. But bizarre. I had met Assange about 35 years ago. I acted for him, apparently, when he was a young computer hacker. Punk in the I don't, 90s. I don't, remember, I don't remember meeting him, but he but you, told me about it. But, I spent so, some time with him in the, in the Ecuadorian embassy in London in the middle of 2011, um, just after he'd gone in, and he reminded me then of my having acted for him years earlier. Why were you, why were you meeting with him in the Ecuadorian embassy? Uh, because I was concerned about what was happening. And um, he he welcomed me. Anyway, could you could you um could you tell me about that? What was it? What's he like as a person? And I personally find the guy fascinating. So, I mean, what was it like meeting him? And he was very interesting. And uh, we spent about an hour and a half together um, with him helping me draft a letter, which I sent to Nicola Roxon, who who I knew personally and who was then, I think, Attorney General in the Gillard government. Anyway, um, Assange and I drafted this letter. <clears throat> um, I mean, I had to calm him down and keep the thing to a minimum <laughs> because his, his approach was always, you know, say more rather than less. Um, drafted that letter. I sent it to Nicola Roxon when I got back to Australia and she basically ignored it, did nothing. Um, in 2017, I saw him again in the embassy. Uh, at that point, uh, Malcolm Turnbull was PM and I sent a letter to him explaining why Australia needed to do more to help Assange. And 
it would have been very simple. It was just a matter of getting an Australian driver to take him from the embassy to the airport and put him on a plane. So they would have been able to safely get him back to Australia if they just acted on it. They could have got him back to Australia and if there was an extradition, I mean, extradition was just simply not an issue back then. But he could have been, he could have been brought back to Australia and I think it would just have been a matter of simple arrangement, a simple agreement between the Australian and the English governments that he would not be intercepted on the way to the airport. Um, on the footing that he would, if he's in the embassy and he's safe, he could be sent back to Australia where he would be safe and he'd be out of Britain's hands. Um, and yet they didn't do anything? Didn't do anything. Neither the Liberal government nor the Labor government did anything to help him. What um, what else sort of impressed you about Assange? He seems like an intensely moral and incredibly sharp person. Would you agree with that? He's very clever, yeah. He's very bright. He seems very, um, whenever I've seen uh, particularly US journalists interviewing him and trying to sort of catch him out, he's always just very sort of calm, measured, and sort of gives amazing um, amazing answers, I think. Um, but, uh, is, there any, is there any justifiable reason why Assange isn't even allowed to attend his own hearings because from what I've read, he's only been allowed to go a handful of times and when he does, he's not even allowed to sit with his legal team. I mean, is there any reason why they'd be doing that? I I don't know. There's only one member of his legal team who I know personally and that's Jen Robinson who's done a terrific job for him. Um, I do know um, Jeff... Robertson, who has acted for, or rather, yeah, he has acted for Assange at times, but he's no longer acting for him, I think. But he set up Doughty Street Chambers, and Jen Robinson is there. Um, why, why they've chosen their particular approach, I don't know. Do you think Assange is deserving of a Nobel Peace Prize? Because, I mean, it seems to me that he, more than, more than anyone I can think of, has incentivised has incentivized governments not to commit war crimes. Um, if that's true, then I would say, yes, he deserves the Nobel Peace Prize. But, but you, you think that's up for debate, though? I'm sorry? But you think that's up for debate, whether he's disincentivised governments not to commit war crimes? Um, it depends on what happens next. I mm-hmm. mean, if he's ultimately taken to America and if he's convicted, then... Then we won't give him the prize. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I think what also worries me um, about this is the international nature of the case because, I mean, if this was a US journalist being arrested in the US, it would be worrying enough, but it's an Australian citizen who was arrested in an Ecuadorian embassy in the UK and about to be extradited to the US. Does that broaden the scope of the precedent being set? I think it it shows the nature of the threat to journalism at large. I mean, if if a non-US citizen can be extradited to the US to face US charges for things that he did outside the US, then frankly, 
that's a risk to everyone. Now, of course, there has to be extra territorial jurisdiction in some cases, but I don't think that journalism should be caught up in that. The CIA were also um, caught quite recently acquiring CCTV footage um, and audio of Assange's meetings with his legal team in the Ecuadorian embassy. In the embassy. Mm. Shouldn't that immediately cause a mistrial or something equivalent to that? Um, I, I doubt that that evidence would be admissible, although, I mean, in an Australian court, it would not be admissible. Um, it doesn't get a mention in the, uh, in the district judge's hearing or at least in her reasons. So whether it amounts to anything, I don't know. But the fact that it happened would only have consequences if they tried to rely on the evidence that was obtained that way. But wouldn't, I don't quite understand. So that evidence wouldn't wouldn't have been brought forward by Assange's legal team? <clears throat> or, do, or would they just not have, why, why would the evidence, what makes evidence admissible versus inadmissible? Um, well, the first test is its relevance. Um, was the evidence relevant to what was being done? But wouldn't that be extremely relevant? I mean, they're, sp- they're spying on the opposing legal team is spying on the other legal team. <clears throat> well, it's bad behaviour, but I don't know that it, is relevant to the issues in the case. It's a pretty perplexing, perplexing situation overall, isn't it? Um, it is. This is a quote from a um, speech made to the Foreign Relations Committee in the United States Senate last month, um, and I think this goes some way to highlighting the hypocrisy of the US government, especially in this case. So this was spoken by the US ambassador to Pakistan, Donald Armin Blome, Mr. Bloom stated that, quote, Pakistani journalists and members of civil society face kidnappings, assaults, intimidation and disappearances as he advocated for expanded protections for journalists and promised to hold the perpetrators of these crimes to account. Do you think that this rules for thee but not for me attitude is damaging the moral authority of America on the world stage? Um, I think it's damaging... What they're doing is damaging the moral authority of America. Whether it's doing that on the world stage or not depends on your assumptions about um, how people are bothering themselves with what America does. Mm. And that depends on whether people actually notice in the news what's going on. Well, I mean, this might seem like a strange follow-up question, Julian, but I mean... What if we reach a stage where most most people in the West find less and less of a distinction between the world they live in, and I guess this goes to the point we were saying before, less and less of a distinction between the world they live in and the world that, say, a Russian or a Chinese citizen lives in? Um, I mean, that's not to say that we're there yet, but I don't know, it just seems, especially in the context of rising tensions with Russia and the CCP, it seems that in order to defy dictatorial enemies, you need to know that what you stand for is more important than or greater than what they stand for and 
you can say that sort of less and less these days. I mean, what do you think about that? Um, that is all part of the shift to the right, which is happening across the world, isn't it? What do you mean? Well, the shift to the right in politics. Right in what sense? Uh, in the sense of we're becoming increasingly like a fascist state. When you say we, though, who do you mean? Well, certainly Australia and Britain and America. Um, but if but America is run by the Democrats at the moment. Yeah, I know. For, at the moment, mm. what I mean, the the Trump position in America seems to be remarkably strong, and I think it's gone stronger. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, Biden hasn't Biden hasn't exactly represented the left very well in the last last year. Do you think so, I, do you think Trump's so going to Sorry, go on. Sorry. You go ahead. I, I, I was just going to say as as world politics shift to the right, <clears throat> then um, there's an increasing risk uh, to people at large. Whether that means we're becoming more like China, I'm not sure. Although I suspect that China is shifting to the right as well. I mean, it's very interesting to have a look at the political position in Australia at the moment. I mean, I can remember what life, what the Liberal Party in Australia was like uh, in the 60s under Menzies. And what was it like? Well, it was like the Labor Party is now. So it's starting to fall 180. Um, no, it's just been a shift. I think, I mean, politics is not my bag, but I think. I think that's why you would have made a good politician, Julian. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. But in any event, I think <clears throat> as people have become increasingly um, attached to certain ideas, certain political parties, they have not noticed that the parties have moved to the right. And I mean, the, the Liberal Party now is almost a fascist party. The Labor Party now is, as I said, uh, like the Liberal Party used to be. Do you think, though, I mean, I, I sort of less and less make a distinction between right and left and I just sort of see authoritarianism growing on all sides, right and left, especially in America. I mean, my sort of barometer for, um, I guess, the the intangible value that I care most about is freedom of speech. And I think freedom of speech is more under attack from the left at the moment than it is from the right. That's not something I've considered to be candid um, <clears throat> but if that's right, it's it's another example of the left wing of politics, so-called, shifting to the right. And I agree that authoritarianism is at the heart of it. Well, because yeah, authoritarianism I, is increasing everywhere. Because I always thought the right were traditionally the um, the political persuasion that censored people. Um, but yeah, 
like I say, sort of author- authoritarianism doesn't really care whether you're right or left, though, does it? Um, well, just to, just to crystallise the point, what are the most egregious aspects of um, this conspiracy, do you think? Because I think it is a conspiracy uh, against Assange. What actions taken by the US against Assange have concerned you the most? The simple fact that they um, are pursuing him the way they are is a matter of real concern, in my opinion. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the real punishment of Assange lies in the fact that he is isolated um, for years. I mean, he's been in Belmarsh Prison now since when? 2019, I think. 2019, yeah. Um, and he was isolated in the embassy for 10 years before that. <clears throat> he was in the embassy for se- seven or eight years. 2011 to 2019, I think. Yeah. Mm. Um, and he he looks like remaining in Belmarsh Prison for at least another year mm. or so before the appeal system in Britain is concluded. Um, if he's then extradited to America, as I suspect he will be, it could be years before he's brought to trial and it could be even more years before uh, he gets a conclusion. I mean, if things go badly and he's convicted, then there would be appeals. Um the legal system seems to be a large part of the problem for him because it raises the real risk that he will um, that he will be locked up and that is a punishment for him. He'll be locked up indefinitely regardless of whether he's innocent or not. What's your... Final prediction, what do you think will happen? Do you think he'll be extradited? Do you think he'll um, be able to serve his sentence under home arrest in Melbourne? Um, What's going to happen to him? Um, I think he'll be extradited. If I was in his position, I'd probably agree to extradition straight away. Um, I... I worry about what's going to happen to him in trial in America because if the shift towards an authoritarian position is what's really happening, then there's a serious risk that he would be convicted. Mind you, I think when he comes to trial in America, that's when the press will really be out trying to support him because they will recognise or they should recognise the risk to them and to press freedom um, that lies at the heart of what happens to him in trial. <clears throat> Extradition is, you know, I think they reckon it's probably too complex to be bothered thinking about it. Um, and i I got to say the, the judgments in relation to his extradition are very complex and they show just how much um, how much the 
light. The, the, the judgments show just how little concerned the press would be because the press don't seem to get very far trying to publish stuff that is too complex. What do you mean by that? Well, <clears throat> when, if ever, do you read anything in the press that deals with complex issues? Mm. You mean they usually go for more clickbaity, easy to um, easy to comprehend quickly articles? Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't lend itself to in depth conversations. No, it doesn't. Mm. And the only I mean, there's a couple of newspapers where you can expect a detailed discussion of complex issues. Uh, but they are newspapers that are read by maybe 2% of the community. Do you think that's why the news outlets and certain journalists are calling him a criminal just simply because, I mean, even they themselves haven't looked in depth at the issue? Or do you think it is just more nefarious than that? Um, I, would, I would look for the simpler answer rather than the more complex. I think they probably think it's easier to call him a criminal than and just ignore all of the issues under the surface. They they seem to have accepted that um, the decision of the district judge appears to be based on an assumption that the charges against him are good, but that sending him to America would be dangerous for him. Now, if that's their thinking, then personally I think they're wrong. So they're just assuming that because a court has upheld America's decision, it must be accurate. Um, not quite. I think it's. I think what it tells you is that they reckon it would take too much work to explain to their readership why it shouldn't have gone that way and why the other grounds should not have been made out. Yeah, that's pretty depressing, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. I think I think the, the media right now, and I'm talking across the world, I think the media right now are in a pretty bad way mm. because the media are simply a way of making money. Mm. And they've got a lot to answer for, I think, as far as the madness of the last two years is concerned as well. Hmm. And and that is increasingly a problem as we shift towards an authoritarian community. Well, Julian, I want to – I just want to say thanks for um, coming on the podcast again. Um, you're always very generous with your time and, um, yeah, I really appreciate it. No problem. Um and if you could, I mean, I've got a window just to my left mm. and I'm looking at the ocean and it's I, sunny and clear and calm. I'm freezing cold in um, London. I'm not sure if you've been able to tell by the um, shake in my voice or the, the mic shaking, but I should have worn a jumper for this um, podcast. So it's <laughs> bleak and cold outside and I'm glad you're, um, you're happy and warm. <laughs> well, thank you. Whereabouts in London are you? Uh, I'm staying at a family friend's at the moment in uh, Kingston, um, but I'm looking to move into, I was thinking of moving into Hackney. Um, a lot of people have rec recommended Hackney. If you've got any recommendations, I'll, um, I'll take them. I don't. 
Have you ever oh, the Ecuadorian embassy? <laughs> yeah, they're not very. Uh, they're not very accommodating.